You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. So here we go, Wake Weekend 2021. Students, I see you over there. Come on. The last session, and, uh, and we are inviting our whole church family uh, to get in on this. So uh, my name is Tony Robinson, and I'm one of the staff members here at Stonegate. And uh, if you are um, just a visitor here, we welcome you. Uh, so thank you for just coming to be a part. And there's room for more people to invite into our church family. So we'd love for you to jump in with us. And uh, so just make sure there's a connect card in the backseat pocket. And uh, we'd love for you to just fill that out and to turn that back into us. And uh, we promise it would be worth your time. Uh, so this weekend, we've been in Philippians 3. And we'll be starting Philippians 4 this morning uh, as we continue our conversation of the prize. Uh, so night one was press on. Night two was hold true, and this morning is stand firm. Stand firm, and you see this command in verse one of chapter four, so let's read it together. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The call is to stand firm, and Paul starts off this chapter with therefore, meaning there's a reason why we must stand firm in the Lord. There's something that provides strength and confidence in the noun, and that something or some things is found in the verses before it. So, so we're going to take the rest of this time to backtrack a bit and figure out what the therefore is there for. Uh, so, so students, you already know this about me, uh, but in my family, we have three boys a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and now a 14-month-old. I know, pray for me. Like, pray, pray for our family. That, that, that's just a lot. Just pray. And, and, and now we're, we're, we're getting to the point where we, we have to start being strategic about where we take our boys, uh, especially boys that like to eat like teenage grown men. Y'all feel me? Like, they just eat. Like, we can't go to Chick-fil-A every day because they, they want to eat their own adult meal, and we end up dropping $30, $40 a visit. Like, we can't be doing that. Uh, we ain't rolling like that. I'm in ministry. Uh, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. No, no. Stonegate takes care of us, I, I promise, but, but we ain't rolling like that. Like, we just ain't. Uh, but anyways, I, I loved, uh, as a kid, like, going out and playing games, and, uh, and, and there's a high chance that my kids are, are, it's coming for them really soon, where they love to go out, they love to play games, uh, and right now, they, they love the park, and I love the park because it's outside, and more importantly, it's free. It's free. Uh, but video games, electronics, arcades, not free. Not free. As a parent, I wouldn't say that I love the arcades. As a kid, I loved it. As a parent, I don't get it. I still don't get how fast $20 can just disappear out of my wallet so that you can get some gifts that you can get at the dollar store, right? Can I get an amen? But, but in the mind of a kid, that doesn't matter. There's always that inevitable moment where the money is gone, but the kid's desire to keep playing isn't. They want to stay. They, they want to stay forever, right? Uh, but they can't stay forever. And uh, there's many reasons why. One, they ain't got no money. That's one. Two, even if they had money, let's just say they did, everything there costs money. Like the food, the games, everything. They will eventually and quickly have no money and go broke and hungry. It's inevitable. And three, 
And I think this is the most compelling reason why they can't stay there forever. Dave and Buster's ain't home. Even if it was open 24-7, even if you could stay there all day, every day, your friends won't be there all the time. For sure, your parents won't be there all the time. Because that's, that's not their home. It's not your home. In due time, after even you play the, the thousandth time in a row your favorite game, you just want to go home, right? Like, and you should. Home, home is where you get fed good food. Like mama's gumbo. Like good food. Like where you get loved by loved ones. Where you get rest. And, and, and you should take off your, your work clothes and your school clothes and you put on your jammies. Right? No matter, no matter where you go, no matter how glamorous or flashy the place is, over time, soon enough, you long for home. You just want to go home. And now for some of you, those, those that are disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, this place, earth, is not your home. Your home where there's a physical mailing address that's not your home, your home is heaven. Your home is heaven. And for, for many, of us, many of us, when we hear heaven, we think a place that you go to later in life when you die. Like, like I don't have to deal with that now. I don't, I don't have to consider that right now. I, it has no pact for, impact on my everyday now. Or does it? Is heaven a later thing or is it a now and later thing? And, and, and I think the pressure point for many of us, whether we'll admit it or not, is, is asking ourselves this question. Does heaven change my now? Does, he, does heaven change my right now or does it just change my later? Is, is, is Jesus just fire insurance for me or is he something else? But, but if heaven, let, let's just say it does. Let, let's say heaven changes my now. The question then becomes, then how? As we, as we already read, Paul thinks that our standing firm in the Lord now is strengthened by something. For, for those of you that have struggled to stand firm in your walk with the Lord this past year, what if I were to tell you that it might have something to do with your view of heaven? Let's go back to Philippians 3 to find out. We'll start in verse 17, and this passage will be able to tell us how heaven impacts our now. And what Paul is going to convince us of this morning is that heaven should, in fact, impact our joy, our tears, and our discomfort. Our right now joy, our right now tears, and our right now discomfort. So, so let's begin with seeing how heaven impacts our right now joy, shall we? Starting in verse 17 of Philippians chapter 3, it reads this, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So, so in this verse, you got Paul giving his fellow brothers in Christ some instructions. We see Paul saying, brothers, join in imitating me. 
Paul first says, join me in following Christ by imitating me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But then he finishes that verse with, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He then shifts the focus from him to include the group of men uh, in that church that live above approach lives, that, that know what it looks like to deeply enjoy Jesus, who walk toward Jesus in maturity. So, so what, you, what you'll see is it's not just what he's explicitly telling them to do, but what's implicit here. You'll see that? What's, what's oozing out of the text and really Paul's whole letter to his brothers in, in church at, in Christ at, in, at Philippi, it's not just his instructions, but his affections for his brothers in Christ. Y'all see that? What he's communicating to the church is that there's a group of people in his church family that, has a, that he has a profound respect for, and he's telling the church to fix their attention upon these people that walk in maturity with a desire for or interest in. What he's ultimately saying about these guys is watch them, study them, be, be around them be, because they're worth following. Their life is worth them inviting someone into it. So, so, so can I just look um, uh, at a second, just at a, a group of folks in our church family that, that maybe fit the, 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 the plus 50 group or, or a group of men and women that, that have been following and enjoying Jesus for a while. And can I just say this to you? You are worth following. You are worth following. And you're worth following because you're headed towards Jesus. You're following him. You're imitating him. Now, now if you're in that group of people that I just spoke to, let me just ask you something. If you are worth following, if you're headed towards Jesus, then let me ask you, is anyone behind you? Is, is anyone behind you or beside you? If not, have you invited anyone in yet? Have you invited someone into your life to grow deeper with as you grow deeper with Jesus as you head towards him? And, and, and friends, I'm not just talking about a home group setting. If you're not in a home group, that, that'd be a great first step for you. And you should do that. You, you can go to the group's wall right after service to find one. But what I'm talking about is, is the three to six within the 12, the Peter, James, and John types of relationships, you know, where, where you have the whole who's your one in evangelism. But the follow-up question with that is who's your crew? Who are the people in your life that are imitating you as you imitate Christ? The people that you are intentionally seeking out to spend time with, the people that you're headed toward heaven with, the people that you study the scripture with, but also you do more than that, that the people that engage not just your brain, but your heart, where it's not just instructions, but affections. Like, like what Paul talks about uh, in this passage, and in passages such as 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, where, he, where it reads, So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share not only the gospel of God, but 
also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. You see, you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying gospel truth is important, but it must be coupled with gospel affections. And let, me, let me just say it another way. If, you, if you're running toward heaven, a crew should be running with you. A crew should be running with you. Christians don't await for heaven alone. They take a crew with them. And this crew ain't just regular old Christians or people in your life. These are people that you pour your life out for now. This, this is how you get Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, right? We already read that, but let's read it again. Looking, looking at the affectionate language Paul uses. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. My beloved. Some translations translate that last word to my dearly beloved. The expression is one word in the Greek, the word which is used for God's divine and self-sacrificial love. Paul loves these people. He longs for them. They are his joy. They are his crown. They're his dearly beloved people he's willing to die for. Do you have people that you feel that way about in your life right now? outside of your immediate family? If not, have you invited them into your life? Have you sacrificed time to get there? And can I just tell you that, that you got about 300 students that just finished Wake Weekend. 300 students, and they are hungry. Not, not hungry, hungry for Jesus. Like, like they're just waiting for someone to say, like, come into my life, Follow me, imitate me as I follow Jesus. And they're, and they're just saying, like, I just need someone to show me what this looks like. Will, will you be those type of people, Stonegate? And, and, I, and I think everyone wants a crew like that. Everyone wants someone following them, but few are willing to sacrifice much to get it right. And, and if you're aimlessly running in life, if this life is all you have to live for, then a crew doesn't seem like it makes that much sense, right? Like, like Paul is sort of hinting at this point when he shifts his focus to, to the second group of people, not the Christians, but, but enemies of the cross of Christ in verses 18 and 19, which read, for, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end it's destruction, their, their God is their belly, and their, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul is contrasting these two groups of people, friends, friends of the cross and enemies of the cross. The first group, friends of the cross, have heaven in view. Their view of heaven impacts the joy they have in their relationships right now, and which, which in turn helps them stand firm in the Lord. The second group, enemies of the cross, Paul says, set their minds on earthly things. Heaven isn't, isn't in view, only this life is, and only what this world has to offer. And when our minds are set on earthly things, Jesus isn't our God and his bride isn't our joy. Instead, Paul says their belly is their God and satisfying its desires, it's their joy. Y'all see that? 
One, one Bible translation reads it this way, because their God is their bodily desires. Paul says, if our minds are set on earthly things, then the things that bring us joy are the things that actually bring us shame. Because it's selfish. It's all about satisfying your desires. It's all about you. It's, it's you running to the very things that God opposes. Having only this life in view is about bringing yourself high, being served and loving self, while having a view of heaven is all about bringing yourself low, becoming a servant and loving others. This, this is why having heaven in view uh, means you bringing a crew with you. It shifts your focus from your navel to your heart. And, and if you're running towards heaven, then, then it doesn't make uh, any sense not to have a crew with you to enjoy heaven and earth with you right now until eternity. To have that crew be your joy and your crown as you enjoy Jesus together now and into eternity. And so not only does heaven impact our joy in relationships, but it also impacts our tears. It impacts our, it impacts our tears. We, we sort of grazed over verse 18 of the passage, and, and it'd be worth it for us to go back as, as, as we see what Paul is getting at here, because, because not only does Paul have deep affections and respect for his brothers in Christ, but he also has deep affections for that second group that we identified to be enemies of the cross of Christ. And you see this in verse 18, it reads, for, for many of whom I've often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Do y'all see that? Paul is crying. Stonegate, Stonegate, he's crying. And why is he crying? Like, doesn't he realize that, that these people are enemies of Jesus? Why isn't he judging them, condemning them, uh, getting on Facebook and, and telling them how foolish they are? Why, why isn't he lording it over them that he's on God's side and they're not? Why, why isn't Paul doing that? Why is Paul crying instead? Well, well, let's move on to verse 19 to find out. It's because their end is destruction. Stonegate, if, if heaven is real and the scriptures are true, then hell must be real. If heaven is real, then those outside of Jesus, their end is utter destruction, utter destruction. And now every, everyone in the room, you should, you should feel that. Hell is real. Eternity outside of the presence of God is real. And if eternal heaven is real and eternal hell is real, then Christian, our tears should be too. Our, our tears should be too. Our, if heaven is real, our tears should be too. Our empathy, our concern, our grieving should be real too. And for many of you, you don't have to think long and hard before you can think of someone that, 
that you deeply love that doesn't follow or know the Lord. So, so again, I want, you, I want you to put a name and a face to this. These aren't just abstract people. These are real people that you love. And as it stands, if they were to breathe their last breath now, their end would be eternal destruction. Just think about that. This, this should bring you to tears thinking about that, right? It, it should bring tears rather than your judgment. And, and if you have a hard time getting there, like if that reality Christian isn't doing anything for you, then I would suggest praying Jeremiah 9, chapter 9, over and over again. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1, it reads this. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And John Piper would, would, would say this about this verse. Jeremiah chapter 9 says this very literally in the Hebrew. Who will give my head waters? Who will give my eyes springs of tears. This is a Hebraic way of saying that somebody else has to because I can't do it. Somebody's got to give me this. I can't make these tears. I can't become another kind of emotional person that I grew up being. And no, you can't, but God can. God can give you the tears that you're asking for. And so if you have no holy tears, then you should ask your holy God for them. You should beg and plead to, to ask him to give you these holy tears. Christian, if you struggle with your ache for the loss, then ask God to deepen it. God can deepen your ache for the lost in light of heaven. When heaven is in view, Oh God, like, what, 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 would you give that to us? Would you give us your heart that breaks for those that don't know you? Can we just commit to being the ones that, that bring the good news to our one? to the one that doesn't know. If you don't have a one, you can find a card in the seat back pocket and commit to just, like, just praying and sharing the good news with them. And, and why, why, why do I say that? Why do I say you should do that? Because the reality of heaven impacts what Christians do now. It, it deepens our affections for them now. It, it deepens our ache for them now. It, it gives urgency to whoever is our one now. It, it's the most loving thing that we can do for them to bring them good news. And you know, back then, uh, back in 20, uh, sorry, 2008, a guy by the name of Penn Gillette, he's a well-known celebrity uh, comedian and atheist, uh, had, he had this guy come up to him after one of his shows, and this guy gives him a Bible. And uh, Gillette, this atheist, moved by this man's gesture, recalled this interaction, and he says, this man was kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and gave me his Bible. And, uh, and, and, and uh, Pendulette goes on saying, I've always said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe that heaven, there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, he then says this, 
How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize them? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? Look, Stonegate, you have someone that doesn't believe, even to this day, doesn't believe in God saying it would be hateful not to share good news to someone you love. If heaven is real, then so must our love for the lost, then, then so must our passion to see them found, then, then so must our longing to see enemies of Christ be, be welcomed into the family of God as friends. The reality of heaven should give us tears now, not, not, not long Facebook posts or online debates or frequent unfriend, unfriending, not, not judgment, not puffed up pride. Not, what, we can't be those Christians that, that are shaking our heads in confusion and disgust as to why enemies of the cross don't get it. We, we just can't be those people. And the reason why Paul says he has more tears than Facebook posts is because he knows he was once an enemy of the cross. A pretty bad one at that. And if you're a Christian, you too were once an enemy. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, for while we, meaning all, were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son and so much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus loved you, reconciled you, gave his life for you while you were his enemy. That's, that's what he did. And the reason you no longer are his enemy has nothing to do with your attraction or your appeal or, or, or your potential or your good works. Ephesians 2 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved by faith and it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Amen? Christian, you are a friend of God because Jesus, Jesus made you his friend. He laid down his life for you when you were his enemy. This is why Paul has tears right now, not judgment. In his tears and in his anguish, he's saying, whatever it takes, I'll go through that for the sake of seeing my friends and loved ones saved. If Jesus is willing to give his life for the sake of his enemies, and if Paul is willing to be cut off from Christ for the sake of his enemies, then Stonegate will we. Right now, will we? In light of heaven, right now, will we have tears for those that are enemies of Jesus? And so heaven impacts our right now joy, heaven impacts our right now tears, and lastly, heaven impacts our right now discomfort. Paul, Paul finishes up this passage, this chapter, by writing, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul is doing something pretty scandalous here. It, does, it doesn't seem like much is going on here, but, but you have to understand his audience a bit to understand what he's doing. And we have to remember that Paul isn't writing to first century Americans, 21st century Americans. 
but, but to people in first century that live in Philippi, which is a Roman colony. And Roman citizenship back then meant, meant everything to those back in the day. It, back then, Roman citizenship meant status, opportunity, stability, security. Basically, it, it, it meant ways, uh, it meant you, you are making it or breaking it based upon your citizenship in Philippi, your Roman citizenship. And it meant everything. And, and so when Paul says your citizenship is in heaven, not in Rome, he's saying your stability, your security, your, your making it or breaking it, your everything right now hinges upon your citizenship in heaven, not Rome. He, he's saying your Roman citizenship is something, but it's not everything. This place, Philippi, is not your home. Enjoy it, take care of it, see it as a gift. But this ain't your home. This ain't home. It's us as Dave and Busters, right? Over time, long enough, soon enough, we just want to go home. And this is why heaven should, should bring us discomfort on this side of it, right? Like life on earth can be fun, and Lord willing, we get to be here a good minute. But, but the longer we stay here, the longer we should long for home, where our citizenship remains Christian. And Paul says we should long for heaven now. We should, we should wait for heaven now because from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, Paul says that Jesus, when he comes back, will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Isn't that beautiful? Christian, don't, don't get too comfortable here on earth. Don't, don't set your mind on earthly things as you store up treasures for yourself. Don't, don't set your mind on a comfortable retirement, Christian. Rather, rather set it on a glorious eternity with a glorious king. And now look, tre treasures aren't bad. Retirement isn't bad, depending on what you mean by that. Money, money isn't bad, we just shouldn't place all our stock in them. We, they don't give us long-lasting fulfillment. Our, our joy, our glory, our hope shouldn't come from them. If heaven is real, then the more we store up treasures for ourselves, the more discomfort we should feel. If, if we store up treasures, we should store them up to embrace risk for Jesus, to, to serve the vulnerable, to bless others, to, to tell stories of transformation, not accumulation. Our, our discomfort is birthed from our hope, our anticipation, our eagerness to see his glory now and throughout eternity to see power, to see Jesus, to be with Jesus, to share in his glory. Friends, friend, this, this, this is what's in store for you in Christ Jesus. As our bodies are breaking down, as our treasures are rotting, 
we look to a day when all will be made new. Amen? Revelation 21 will say it this way. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He's coming back, friends, to dwell with us. And we are getting a new bodysuit, baby. And I don't know about you, but I just turned 34. My body is already aching. <laughs> Living in a fallen world ain't no joke, right? It will break you down physically, emotionally, all the allies. And every Monday I wake up from being on my feet all day on Sundays and my knees be aching. Like, and I just know sure, slowly but surely, my body will continue to give out. And, that, and that's depressing if this life is it. But it's exciting with eternity in view, right? Church, he's coming back for you. He's coming back for us his bride, where our bodies will be made new. Amen? Just, just imagine that for a second, church. Imagine a body redeemed that will have deeper and richer capacities to enjoy Jesus with. Like, that church is worth waiting for. It's, it's worth you choosing not to indulge in and put all your stock in what, is, what this world has to offer here on earth, right? It's, it's worth to feel that temporary discomfort now so that you may feel eternal satisfaction at the return of our Savior, to see Him in all His glory. Amen? And, and, and get this, not only will we see him in all his glory, which is, which is wild to think about in itself, but we will get to share in his glory when salvation has fully come. In, li in light of heaven, in light of all we, may, we maybe haven't done yet, for, for you young people, you're thinking, gosh, I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten married yet. I haven't, I haven't gone to college yet. I haven't, I haven't done all this stuff yet. We as Christians, with heaven in view, we can whisper in our prayers, come, Lord Jesus, come. Right now, this minute, as we groan and as we wait, our Savior, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we can do that in confidence and in anticipation. Come take this humble body and transform it to look like yours. Show me your glory and let me share in it, O oh Lord. You are better. Being with you is better than a thousands elsewhere. 
And, and, and maybe you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus yet. Your eyes have been set on earthly things, not on Jesus. You realize that heaven is real, which means hell is real. You realize that, that Jesus is either a power that destroys or one that, that transforms. And if that's you, then you today right now can say, Jesus, humble me right now in your grace. I, I want to experience your power that transforms and saves. Make me a new creation. Only you can save me. And I throw my life, my eternity upon you, Jesus. I need you. Save me. You, you see, folks, eternity isn't merely about a timeline, but a union. When Jesus becomes your savior, he also becomes your Emmanuel, God with us. This is what heaven is, God fully with us. We don't, we don't get to experience the fullness of that union just yet, but you get to experience the power of his spirit come alive and bear fruit in your life today. May, may our view of heaven impact our right now. May it impact it for salvation, that Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin, for, for our sanctification, that Jesus is saving us from the power of sin, and for our glorification, that Jesus is coming back to save us from the presence of sin. Oh, what a day that'll be. Oh, what a day that'll be, church. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you, in all your glory, and all your power, and all your majesty, you want us to, to set our eyes on heaven, to set our eyes on the promises that we have in store, and allow that to impact our now. Who, who we're running with on our way to heaven. Who we, who we see that, that are enemies of you. Where, where we, our eyes are just pouring out tears for those where their end is utter destruction. Where it impacts our discomfort as we just store up treasures for our own selves. God, God may, our, may, our, may our view of heaven being with you, may it change and impact our now. May it change and impact our now. Change us, Lord. Humble us, Lord. Allow us to know that your promises ring true. You've been faithful. You are faithful, and you will be faithful to the end. You will, you will complete the good work that you began in us. And we hold true to that, Lord Jesus. We hold true to that. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.